Hello, everyone. I'm co-host Brooklyn Arroyo, and this is 100 Alumni Voices podcast, Stories That Inspire, where we explore the personal and professional journeys of a diverse group of 100 doctoral alumni from the Johns Hopkins University. Today, we're joined by Usama Bilal, PhD in epidemiology. Hello, Usama. How are you? Hello, thank you, Brooklyn. Thank you. Thank you for, for having me. Doing great. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for coming. I think that before we get into all the details, um, I just want you to explain briefly what it is you studied and exactly what are you working on right now? Good. Well, uh, so I did my PhD in cardiovascular epidemiology from 2013 to 2017 at the Bloomberg School of Public Health. And while I was there, I focused on many, many things, which is one of the things one can do in, during, during their PhD. But my dissertation focused on neighborhood social and economic change in Madrid, Spain, and its relationship to the food environment and to diabetes incidence. Now I'm kind of building upon all of those blocks and focusing a little bit more on health inequalities in urban areas with a focus on both the U.S. and Latin American cities. Mm, wow, lovely. And and so now within your career, how has that sort of manifested? Well, uh, so the last uh, four or five years, hard to say, this, you know, <laughs> these last few years have been uh, different. Uh, the last five years, actually, ever since I graduated, I've been working at Drexel University, first as a postdoctoral fellow, and then I joined the the the, the faculty. And in, in here at Drexel, I've been working on a project called Salud Urbana en, en America Latina, Sal, Salurbal, where we are essentially compiling and analyzing data from cities throughout Latin America. So uh, all of the training I got at Hopkins was, was very helpful in, you know, helping me um, work with some of this data, analyze it, and then being able to, to describe health inequalities in, in the region. Right. So what brought you to this sort of career and this sort of field of study? Did you go into your, your you know, doctorate degree in knowing what you wanted to do, or did you find it gradually as you studied? So... I went into my PhD knowing what I wanted to do. I wanted to focus in social epidemiology. I wanted to understand health inequalities and health disparities. I wanted to work in neighborhoods and, in, and analyzing why neighborhoods are, are different and what are the consequences on health. Now, I should say, I didn't go into university at first knowing what I wanted to do at all. Like mm -hmm. I was, I actually started a, uh, in, so I did my um, undergraduate studies back back in Spain, where I'm where I'm where I'm from, and um, over there uh, we actually joined medical school directly from 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 high school. So it's a six year program instead of being a four year program like here, and we joined it right away. So I joined medical school when I was eighteen, thinking that I wanted to do laboratory research. I wanted to work with with pipettes. I wanted to do all of those kind of things to do. What I understood at that moment was science, like this mm -hmm. kind of 
very vague thing in my head. So those first few years, I thought, this is going to be in, interesting to do that. And then I started actually interning in a, in a lab in my medical school. And then I realized, uh, maybe not. Maybe this is not <laughs> what I really wanted to do. And at that same time, I was getting a little bit more involved in student activism, mostly focused on, on access to medicines, especially in developing countries, etc. And then I started realizing that public health is actually something that I'm really passionate about. And numbers are the other thing I'm really passionate about. So numbers and public health led me directly into, into, into epidemiology, into social epidemiology. Wow. So within activism, was there any particular moment within your life or did it kind of just come act gradually when you decided that activism was something that you were passionate about? Well, it, it mostly... To be honest, it happened because I felt like very lonely in medical school at first because you know it's all of the classes and everyone is focusing on the classes, etc. And then I met all of these people that were working on things that I consider interesting. I was always internally very politically activated, but not externally. Like I hadn't joined any sort of group, etc. And then all of a sudden, I felt oh, this is a place where you know I'm meeting interesting people. I like what they are doing. I like what they are fighting for. So at first, it started as something completely social uh, that then evolved into something where I could channel some of that angst of, you know, I'm, I'm, studying is not the only thing I want to do here. I want to be able to do uh, other things. And then I realized that I actually liked, um, especially the organizational part of it, coordinating people, the getting things done, et cetera, all of those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Wow. So within your PhD, did you ever experience any roadblocks that made you question how much you truly wanted to go down this path? <laughs> ah, well, it's, it's so many of those. <laughs> and actually, I, I joke now, now that I have PhD students that are working with me, I joke that the mo- that we let you graduate the moment you are able to to solve some of those blocks on your on your own, not completely on your own because everyone always needs help. But the moment you kind of can say, ah, this is how I'm going to fix this and this is my plan to do it, help me a little bit to achieve all of these things. So getting your, your PhD is essentially a series of, of roadblocks. For example, the PhD in Epi at Hopkins uh, in the Bloomberg School of Public Health, we are un- we're under the uh, quarter system with eight-week quarters. So you, you study for, for four weeks, you go to classes, etc., and then you have midterms, and then another four weeks, and then you have finals, and then a weekend, and then you have the next quarter. So it's, it's a consistent series of, of roadblocks over there. And then you have your oral, sorry, your uh, comprehensive exam, which is another roadblock. And then you take your second year classes, and then you have to, to schedule your oral qualifying exams. That's another roadblock. I always joke with everyone, too, that getting to schedule your oral qualifying exam where you have to get five faculty in the same room at the same time is the hardest part of the of the PhD <laughs> because it's juggling five very busy people scheduled. So all of this essentially at the end of the day are preparing you to do that kind of research that you're going to do later. So at, up until this point, you haven't been doing research, which is what everyone thinks of a PhD is for. And I think it may seem like all of that is unneeded, but actually the life of a researcher has a lot of administrative work, has a lot of mentoring work, has a lot of things that are not exactly what people interpret as research. So getting to 
go through all of those roadblocks is actually very useful in, in a researcher's career or in any sort of career that people will undertake after their PhD. So within all these roadblocks, experiencing your PhD and then now moving into the field that you now work in, did you experience any sort of transition period where there was a big difference between what you studied and how you implemented it into your career? My case, you know, not so much because I continued in, in academia. I continued working in a research intensive institution as a postdoctoral fellow, which for those who wanted to continue in academia is the next logical step. Then I continued on the faculty doing, doing research. So it kind of was, I would say, an easy tra- transition, mostly because PhDs prepare people very, very well for careers in academia. I wish they would prepare people better for careers outside of academia. And that sometimes people have to look for those opportunities on their own. Sometimes they are provided by the programs. But when it comes to careers in academia, PhD is definitely mm-hmm. the, the best pre- preparation you can get. Right. You, you are an academic. That is part of your okay. job. So uh, along okay. with that, are there any, you think, common myths that go along with the field that you study or misconceptions on what you do? Well, to be honest, the last two and a half years, referring here to the COVID-19 pandemic, have shown that, wow, people have a lot of misconceptions about public health uh, and epidemiology specifically. Uh, So we've seen a lot of incorrect ways of treating data, treating epidemiological data, many, many ways of doing that. So that's definitely one of them. Uh, But what I will focus on is... Public health is about populations, it's about groups of people. It's about groups of people that live in in an environment that constrain what they can do. So one common misconception I've been seeing, especially in the last year, precisely since last summer, last summer of 2021, has been this focus on personal responsibility. This focus on people should be responsible for the things that they are doing, and they should do these things, and they should do these other things, and then everyone will be healthy. Without a consideration that people are working in an environment that sometimes limits a lot what they can do. They may have places to buy healthy foods close to them, or they may not have them. They may not have the income to buy those kind of things. They may be able to get vaccinated. They may not be able because they cannot get a day of work. So all of those kind of things that are policy amenable. That's what public health is, is, is about. And I've seen a lot of focus on personal re- re- responsibility, while I think we should be focusing a ton more um, into the political and social environment that, that we are living in. Right, definitely. So on the day-to-day tasks, what does your field look like for you? Because it's very big picture and sort of the things that you're studying and working with so what are the sort of day-to-day tasks that you would tackle? So I you know, I like grouping them into four different buckets. One of them is the research I do myself, uh, which roughly involves either being planning a, a study, uh, an article, specifically a paper, uh, writing the analysis for it, or actually writing the, the paper itself, or then the part that takes the longest, which is pre- preparing it for submission, addressing journal things, etc. all of those things. So that's one thing that involves a lot of analytical skills and a lot of writing. Writing is something we do a, a lot of. And also part of research is obtaining the funds to do that kind of work. 
because I need to pay my salary, I need to pay other people's salary, I need to pay staff, etc., etc. So we write grants. So that's a lot of writing. It's writing, 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 writing. It involves a ton of writing. Second bucket of my work is teaching. I don't teach that 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 much because I do a lot of research. But one quarter a year, I'm teaching. So that involves, you know, getting ready for that kind of teaching, doing the lectures or the discussion seminars, grading things, office hours, the kind of thing that people normally think of. Oh, that's a university. Well, that in my case, that's probably the smallest bucket mm-hmm. in all of mine. Another one is what we call service. It's a uh, committees where we decide how is the epidemiology PhD curriculum going to look like? Do we need to update this kind of class to reflect this new thing on the field? Do we need to remove this other thing? How do we address uh, issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion in our curriculum? Mm -hmm. All of those things are part of of those kind of committee meetings. And also as part of that is community service. I'm part of a couple advisory boards for the city of Philadelphia and for the Philadelphia Department of Public Health and for public health department in my own region back in where we just provide advice to the health commissioners on the COVID-19 and all of these things. And then the last bucket, which is the one I actually enjoy the most, is working with the students, the mentoring of, of the students. I have several PhD students that are doing their dissertations with me. I have several master's students that are doing their um, capstones with, with me and then several undergrads and a constellation of other people that are doing this or that with, with, with me plus postdoctoral fellows. And actually, it takes me most of my time at the end of the day is meeting with them, guiding them, helping them think through the issues that they are having. How do we address this? How do we address that? How do we finish this paper? Etc. So that, that's actually one of the parts I really enjoy the most about uh, academia, working with other people. That's amazing. And would you, as somebody who stayed in academia and now is able to work with other PhD students, would you recommend that that was a positive experience and that something that other, you know, graduates would would like to do and should do? If they want to go into academia, in reality, that's one of the few pathways that we currently have going through a PhD. There are a few others, but it's it's more, uh, it's less common. But if you are going to academia, yes. If not, think about what a PhD will provide you with. Do you need the research? You need some other set of skills that maybe you can get some some other way. Maybe you need to work a little bit before going to the PhD to realize if focusing on that kind of work is what you really want, want, want to do. Keep in mind that a PhD is four, six, seven, eight, five, depends on the field, years of your life. Earning probably a very teeny tiny salary, if anything at all. Uh, so it's a big investment. So as that investment, people should be uh, aware that they should go into it like thinking, I am really going to get something out of this. Don't just go into a PhD because you cannot figure out what you want to do now. Right, right. So... As we've talked about what you studied, where you are now, and the things that you've experienced and learned, what are your next phases or hopes for your academic career and your career in general? I really want for the, like one of the key goals of my academic career is to try to shift the narrative about how health is produced. Like understanding that health is not just about what people decide to do today, like I wake up and I decide to have this as breakfast. 
or do that or do the, 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 the other thing, but rather understanding that it's the social conditions that are actually the key things driving health. Can I live in a house that has good ventilation? Do I live in a neighborhood that is full of air pollution because there is a, a um, trash burning facility next door that it only got there because the neighborhoods the neighborhood doesn't have any power to prevent that kind of thing. Those are the things that are really driving health. And I would love for, if anything, contribute to the public understanding that because then we can actually ask uh, policymakers and lawmakers to address all of those kind of things instead of asking them for other things, like focusing on that as the main health thing, not just hospitals, not just uh, educating people into what's, what's best to eat, et cetera, all those kind of things, but also focusing on, on that social environment and the political environment. Right. Knowledge is, is power, and that is important that we spread that awareness. Um, yeah. So what advice would you give someone who might be interested in the career or even in the the sense of activism that you pursue? Well, be committed to it. Don't just don't just half do it. Like if you are gonna go into that, you need to come committed to it, you need to put the 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 time and not just do it because uh because you wanna per, per, perform. In, yeah. in front of others don't just do it as a thing that oh i mean this is going to look good and mm-hmm. i know that uh it's especially these days getting into certain programs is very competitive and having extracurriculars and all of those things is very important but don't think of this as a way to get somewhere else think of what you want to get as a way of achieving something for society in general not just for yourself so it shouldn't be about yourself it should be about society in general right come from a genuine place exactly. uh, our last question is something that we are asking of everyone and i think it is really important that we hear from you as somebody who is within activism and doing these amazing things in your career and that question is what inspires you right now so i'm guessing this is an audio podcast Yes. <laughs> I don't know if people can see that I'm holding up a baby now <laughs> while, I, while I'm talking. So yeah. she actually inspired me roughly because, uh, mostly because I try to think about the opportunities that every child has or doesn't have and about how our social environment fails so many children out there. Uh, we're uh, not providing with the opportunities for the families, for children to grow up in safe and secure em- em- environments that are going to promote their health throughout their lifetime. So having political and social options that will ensure that all children born here and everywhere else have those kind of uh, opportunities, I think it's, it's, it's what really inspires inspires me, mostly coming from holding this baby now. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I think that, you know, uh, many people share that with you. And we do just want a better future. And I've absolutely loved watching this bundle of joy the entire time, (laughs) even if the the (laughs) listeners can't see how adorable they are. (laughs) So thank you so much for sharing all of your insight today and being able to speak with me. I really have appreciated and loved it. Thank you. Thank you so much for for having me and for inviting me.